Welcome back to Innovation Big and Small. Hi there, Jim. Hi, how are you, Squirrel? I'm doing great. I had a nice break, and uh, we we both went away for a bit, and like we're all refreshed and ready. And I, I hear that you read something interesting while we were both taking a little break here. What was that? Yeah, I I reread actually. Small is beautiful by E. F. Schumacher. I think you've uh, read it as well. One of my favorites. There there'll be a link in the show notes for people who want to listen. That's great. Yeah, it's a you know it's kind of an interesting thing because. Uh, we're talking about innovation, big and small, and uh, he's making a strong argument that small is better. And he's not really making the strong argument that small is necessarily more economic, uh, but he is making the argument that it's better for people and it's uh, better for the planet. And uh, and so anyway, I find it interesting. And I just was uh, I know it's it's one of your uh, one of your the books you really like, too. I thought we might talk a little bit about how it plays out, how you see it in the startup world, and how I've seen little vistaed, uh, you know, images of how it plays out in larger companies. Sounds fantastic, and we may or may not finish this time, but we can we can talk about it next time too. Yeah, the the thing I notice in startups is, of course, um, the VC backed ones, which are the vast majority, and and actually almost all of my clients. Uh, the ones who come to me for consulting and, and help with improving their businesses, those are the ones who want to be big. They have they have these huge ambitions to be on a, a, a rocket ship, the hockey stick curve and so on. And then there's this other interesting group, and I've always thought that I should make up a little community of profitable small startups that aren't trying to become huge in London, because there's a, a little group in them. I imagine you could make a worldwide community of, of such startups, but they're definitely in the minority and they're really interesting. They just have a very different feel to them. They're um, more thoughtful. The um, environment is uh, generally more positive. The founders have time to think about where they're taking their businesses. They don't become Uber, right? They don't become Facebook. They don't make somebody enough money to, um, uh, I don't know, uh, buy an election or whatever it is that you do when you have a billion dollars. They don't do that. But they're not trying. And I think that's a really interesting approach to take. And they're very innovative. That's what I find as well. They're, they're not as aggressive. They don't tend to try to move into every market and take over everything the way, say, a, a, again, a Facebook or a Google has. But that's not what they're trying to do. And I think that's an interesting idea. And that's Schumacher argues that that's kind of better human scale than the, the huge or institutions and, and companies that we create. What, what did you find? Yeah, I mean, I think that that's uh, that the argument really is that uh, a lot of large organizations are just dehumanizing. So the subtitle of Small is Beautiful is Economics as if People Mattered. Mm -hmm. And the point is that it's you get to a point where people are so much just part of a cog and they can't see their influence on the world that they, uh, it, they're just earning a paycheck. There, I have seen actually, and I was involved with uh, some experiments in this way, in large companies, where people create the sort of small within the large. So when I was at what's now Verizon, there was a team of people that they did maintenance in Queens, which was a big area in New York. And they set up self-managed teams who had you know, sub-territories and they managed all their work and they were accountable for customer satisfaction and for costs and everything. So they were like their own little business inside a business. And uh, and the the ability they had to design their work, manage their metrics, uh, you know, work with one another, 
and the fact that they could see the effects on their own uh, their own territory made a big difference to them. And and what did it do for innovation? Did they find that they were more innovative in those small groups? Did they diverge and try new things and experiment? Or was it less innovative? What was your sense? No, I think it's it's more innovative, but maybe not in the big I innovative sense. It's innovative in the sense that people solve problems that otherwise just sit by the uh, side of the bureaucracy and don't get solved. If people are communicating more and they learn something, they'll share what they learn. They'll help each other if the metrics are more about customer satisfaction and you know total cost than they are about your individual metrics, they'll help each other. And uh, I did have some experience there. It was, it was related, but not the same place where we did some stuff in, uh, there was a guy in one of the maintenance centers, there were 42 maintenance centers in New York, New England. And there was one guy who happened to have a computer science background who did a bunch of innovative things to just make things a little better in the maintenance center. Well, the natural tendency of the company was to say, well, let's force all 42 maintenance centers to do just what they did. And uh, there's a resistance to that because people in you know, Manchester, New Hampshire, don't think they're like Midtown Manhattan. Um, but the idea of taking this guy's name was Steve and giving every maintenance center a Steve, you know, a young guy with computer skills and then networking them together. That made a lot of sense to me. But it, it got stuck in the natural large company tendency, which is to uh, standardize, systematize, uh, maximize the efficiency of the innovation, if you want to call that. Uh, but it was extremely productive where it was done. And again, it was empowering someone at a local level. So that's what I think is exciting. Uh, I think it could help transform big companies. And certainly that was Schumacher's argument, or one of many of them, was that um, the, the, the bureaucracy tends to stamp out the individualism, doesn't help you have innovation. But I, I'm interested in that idea of big I innovation versus small I innovation. The, the, the small organization tends to, the one that's intentionally staying small, and I certainly see this in these small profitable startups that I'm referring to, tends to solve a niche problem really well. If you yes. want to revolutionize the world and, and you want everybody to drive an electric car, well, you better become Elon Musk and build a great big infrastructure and uh, uh, gigafactories of people who just make batteries for you and everything else. And uh, that, that might actually shift how most people drive. And, and that's a perfectly valid goal. You're unlikely to achieve that if you stay small. But I've got a beautiful example of a, 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 a former client of mine and mostly just a friend who's um, small, profitable startup. He's just about to sell and has been very successful in this teeny little niche in education. He's just found a, a really interesting problem that's small and controlled. He's got a really fantastic solution for it. He's built a wonderful culture in which it, uh, uh, people are all very happy and, and nurtured and taken care of. His margins are insanely good because he's solved this problem better than anybody else. And so he can just sell over and over again this solution to educational institutions for this pro important problem that they have. It's a small problem. He's not going to wind up automating their entire department or something like that in the area where he solved the problem, but he doesn't care. And he's just sold for a, a life-changing amount of money. So um, you know he's had a tremendous personal success. So um, that's the kind of thing that I think small eye innovation in small organizations is um, not at all a bad thing. If we had more of it, we might be happier people. And I, I think you had mentioned when you, we talked about that story before, 
that this guy really had a very high focus also on the employee satisfaction. Oh, yeah, exactly. That's what I mean. He created this very positive culture. And I remember him uh, walking over to the circuit breaker on the wall at 5.01 p.m. and and turning it off so that everybody had to go home. Um, You know, he was uh, creating this very uh, positive environment for um, essentially a bunch of junior employees because he'd made the whole thing so smooth that you you didn't have to be a super expert in order to um, be a contributor. You could just come along and and do your, your piece and go home at 5 p.m. and have a high quality of life and um, just generally be uh, a very happy person. So he, he created both a positive environment inside and um, significant small I innovation um, outside. So that's the sort of thing you could aspire to. I'm not sure if big companies are ever going to get behind it, though. Well, I think that the, the solution to that is probably having smaller independent units that are somehow uh, somehow interface with one another. Uh, Maybe the next time we can talk, I just interviewed Gary Hamill, who uh, wrote the book Humanocracy, and he talks about the different ways that large companies create sort of small, innovative units inside them. That would be really interesting. Let's be sure to do that. Yeah, it's it's so much goes against the grain that there aren't a whole lot of them. But uh, there are a few examples to talk about and a few, I think, rules of thumb. And the question I have is... uh, is whether or not that will become sort of a new, more powerful archetype. I mean, if you think about open source software, there's some very big open source software projects, but they're not run like big bureaucracies. And uh, they're run by small teams with large groups of contributors and you know earned participation in the decision rights. So it's a, an interesting thing. I think I, I'm rereading Small is Beautiful because I'm, I'm getting more and more interested in how technology is either creating better workplaces for people or worse workplaces for people. And there's a range of issues that are related. So maybe we can talk about a couple of those issues in future future sessions. Fantastic. I think you're setting up a little series there. That's fantastic. Well, I'd certainly like to know more about Humanocracy. We'll, we'll check that out. You can check it out in the show notes to find out more about Small is Beautiful, an old but wonderful book uh, that uh, we I think we'd both highly recommend. And we'd sure like to hear from listeners. You can find our information in the show notes as well, Twitter and email and all that fun stuff. So we'd like to hear from you if you have an opinion about this. Maybe you think Big is Beautiful. That would be great to, to hear about. And of course, if you don't mind it, hit the subscribe button on whatever you're listening to us on. You know, we, we don't take breaks that often. We did take a big one the last couple of weeks, but uh, we're expecting to be back frequently. And you can definitely hear from us uh, over and over again every week as we continue to explore innovation big and small. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Squirrel.